Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. That little chuckle, I think, is because this is the first time we're ever re-recording an entire podcast. So yesterday, we're traveling right now. We recorded in bed, lying down on our stomachs, and we listened to it after the fact, and we sounded so monotone. <laughs> it was funny. It was like, I feel like there's all these things out there about like the environment that you're yeah. in, and we took this very relaxing environment with like Tostitos in our bed and just like clearly did not bring the energy. So I we're was... back in an office environment today, just bringing the energy. I love it. I was straight lounging, kind of like Rose in Titanic when he's painting her like one of his French girls. And it did not work well for my voice or energy levels. I think it might have come across like really relaxing to people to listen, but also it might not have. Megan was sitting like uh, cross-legged as if she was at a, at a sleepover. Um, long story short, that'll be one of our uh, great re-releases that we do at some point. We're going to save it in the nether regions of the internet. We started listening to the first five minutes. I'm like, are we on point of five speed right now? Yeah, yeah, it was so weird. But bringing the enthusiasm is the new swap playlist. We're going to call it the Shoot Your Shot Swap Playlist on Spotify. You can search it. We just made it public. It is going to bring the fire to your runs. Our goal is to have it just feel like this amp up playlist. So we yeah. actually tested it yesterday. We were running. It was beautiful flower. It was like 33 degrees, which to us right now feels like a tropical island. <laughs> and we were running together, listening to it. And every time a song came on, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like yeah. I felt like it was, those were just like kind of the vibes that we had from this. Playlist. Yeah. Every time the first few beats of the song or the beat would drop in the song, Megan, she's like, oh, damn. Like she's in the club or something. So that's kind of what we're trying to do. It's a mix of like songs we actually really love. And then songs we kind of ironically love. We're mixing it all up into this big stew that will hopefully like, as you're running, you'll be like, Oh, that song. I remember that from way back in the day. What do day. you think is your favorite song in the playlist? Okay, I have some I honest favorite songs, but the favorite song I'm going to mention here is Summer Girls by LFO, um, which I haven't really heard in many, many years, but might be the most brilliant creation of all time. Actually, first, I'd like to highlight how you heard that. So yeah. that was the first time, this is the first time that you've checked out the Discover playlist yeah. on Spotify, and you're like, my first song is Summer Girls by LFO. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a pretty good feel for the algorithm that your like, Spotify has and that yeah. is detecting is the fact that it recommends this song for you I first. Think, I think Spotify was like actually a little bit surprised and embarrassed for me that I hadn't listened to it on Spotify yet, but they kind of, on, they found the perfect uh, uh, like niche for me. So this is a lyric from Summer Girls. You're the best girl that I ever did see. The great Larry Bird, Jersey 33. When you take a sip, you buzz like a hornet. Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole bunch of sonnets. Okay, I feel like they just like drank a bunch of IPAs and were like, we're gonna play Mad Lips with songs <laughs> right now. I feel like that's how I feel about Summer Girls. And so whole when I listened to it, I was like, this song, I mean, I think they knew what they were doing. I think they're coming at it from a brilliant angle. They're like, okay, we're gonna do non sequiturs in our music and it's gonna jump into people's brains and it's gonna take off. And you know, what What can you say? LFO stands for light funky ones. I think that this was all part of the plan. There's sure, for sure some funk in that song. <laughs> and I've also come to terms with nothing I ever do or create will be as brilliant as that lyric. So yeah, that that's kind of a joke song that's near the end of the playlist. We also have some straight bangers early on. Actually, I was just gonna say my favorite banger on there is The Way I Live. We open the playlist with that. Take It to the House by Trick Daddy is great. We actually end the playlist with Ain't No Reason by Brent Denon. And I've had some some runs on our, on our backyard trails, just like flying down the trails, <laughs> listening to Eight and a Reason. I think one of my favorite lyrics on there is, you don't need no razor or a three-piece suit to argue the truth. And then a few lyrics down the, the line, it says, but love will come set me free. Love will come set me free. I do believe. And I've been just like doing airplane arms down trails being like, love is going to set me free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I personally love that song. It's kind of, it's more mellow, but it, it ends, ends the playlist. It ends the playlist we, we 
end with like the funky bedroom vibes of like that we were bringing yesterday on the podcast. And some, so we live in a really open place and sometimes I'll see Megan running way off in the distance and all of a sudden I'll see her arms out. So she said, this isn't just a game she plays. She's really serious. Actually, about you've seen that from out. like from behind too. Oh so yeah. That just no, like, from yeah. miles away yeah. where you, there's no chance you could ever see me. You're wearing like this bright cheetah print with arms out on the trails. And it's what I aspire to all the time. Actually, speaking of cheetah print, that's a fantastic transition for our episode number. So this is episode number 37, which is the Ron Artest episode, also known as Meta Sandiford Artest formerly Meta World Peace. Uh, so yeah, really bringing his vibes to this episode. I like that he's cheetah print in this. Actually, he did, he did wear a lot of really in, cool outfits in his post-game news conferences. Actually, I haven't followed his outfits very closely, but if he could, like if there was an outfit I could envision Ron Artest wearing, it would be cheetah print and some sort of like ridiculous comment. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he was number 37, Meta Sandiford Artest right now. He changed his name in 2020, again, after changing it in 2011. So Sandiford is his wife. So he hyphenated the name with his wife, which I love that he did that. I was going to say, actually, I heard that and I was like, let's be Deacon's Roach. Deacon's <laughs> is my maiden name. I'm like, would you, would you want to take that up? Oh, I mean, the Roach, the Roach contingent would never give up getting you to full, on full board. We, it's like we traded up in the draft to the number one pick from like the seventh round and everyone's viewing it as the greatest heist of all time. Well, uh, Ron Artest is kind of this like polarizing character, but I've got to say, I really identified with him when he went to change his name. They actually made him wait a month because he had so many unpaid parking tickets. They're like, you can't change your name until you pay your parking tickets. And I feel like if I were to do anything right now like i feel like if i were to go change my name they'd be like whoa 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 whoa, what's going on with these parking tickets <laughs> yeah and I, this was when he was changing his name to meta world peace back in 2011. i love that the la superior court was like okay mr world peace not quite yet first we're gonna need some like world straight cash homie um but yeah when he changed his name that first time this is the quote that he did i changed my name because i got tired of ron artest he's a expletive um, which I don't know exactly what that expletive is. Do you have any guesses? I think it's probably the B word. I'm not exactly sure. Well, actually, this is very topical because my dad listens to the podcast yeah. and we're here with family right now. My dad, my dad sat me down. He's like, Megan, this podcast is great. I just have one recommendation for you. Please no more <laughs> F-bombs. So in honor of my dad, I'm not going to fill in the expletive, but I have a whole host of expletives that could be. Yeah. J um, Megan's dad, who's amazing and was giving us great feedback in general, was just like, yeah, just fewer curse words. There's no upside to it. So we're going to try to be a little bit more clean, at least for the next uh, 30 seconds. Um, so interestingly, uh, Meta World Peace, he had a little bit of regret about the World Peace last name because when he was taking off his uh, warm-up shirt to get announced uh, in the in the arena, he was just like, oh, it felt like all eyes were on me. It's just not, it didn't feel quite right for that environment. Which I find fascinating because to me, I feel like that's almost this sense of arrival fallacy. We've, so we've talked about arrival fallacy on here. So like what happens when you achieve something? We talk about yeah. this all the time about like post-race blues. I'm like, Ron Artest had a rival fallacy about his yeah. name. How fascinating is that? <laughs> that's so cool. And I mean, I, I think a lot of his journey is super fascinating because this name change is a metaphor for a lot that went happened in his life. So in, in two, the 2010 finals, he hit a big three in game seven that won for the Lakers. Um, and what his quote was to the, the press after was this, I'd like to thank my psychiatrist. And he said it with a smile, but it was serious too, because his psychiatrist actually helped him through a lot of his journey, including his fear of late game situations. Um, you know, he had a, a pretty checkered past in the NBA, including a brawl called the Malice at the Palace. And he had a lot of childhood trauma. Yeah, he actually saw a murder of a fellow player in childhood. There was like a table thrown at someone and that table pierced the heart. I can't imagine seeing that. But I think for me, what Ron Artest really just symbolizes is the fact that like, we are all processing so yeah. much in what we do. And he's kind of processing it on this big stage as this like kind of wild, controversial, like just out there character. But I have so much respect for him, like putting that out there for yeah. the world. And growing. I mean, 
we can all change our names. Like not, maybe not literally, but that jump, that taking that leap to become meta world peace, to become that thing you want to be. It's just a process of like daily actions. We just got to make sure we pay our parking tickets, I guess. Um, so we are visiting family. That's why we're recording in a different environment. And in the outline, in all capital level letters, Megan has written, there are babies. There are babies. And it's so amazing. So we're here right now with my whole family. It took a lot of logistics, a lot of COVID testing to put this all together. But my brother and sister-in-law have seven-month-old twins. And I am just like swooning in love. They are so cute. Also, I wrote on here, babies smell good. Okay. How weird. That is the cr very creepy thing. Yeah. I saw that one. I was like, are you talking like cheeseburgers? Is this like a food stuff? No, there's like this certain like warmth when I smell yeah. babies. And I'm like, oh, this is nostalgia. That is so weird. But it's like one of my first thoughts. As soon as I saw these guys, I'm like, oh my gosh, they smell good. This oh my God. You're, and you're such a born nurturer. And we've never, we haven't seen your nieces yet. Your um, your brother and your sister-in-law are the best parents. It's just so cool to see it in action and also get a little bit of like, okay, what is this like from a lifestyle perspective? Um, these are the best kids ever, but like, I think it's been eye-opening for us. It's been totally eye-opening because, you know, I'm sitting there doing work and all I want to do is play with these babies <laughs> that are right there on the couch. And I feel like we've been talking about having kids someday, hopefully like two or three years down the road. And But it's been two or three years now for a bunch we've of been, years. That's true. We've been saying <laughs> so that. who knows? At some point we might just be like, oh, hooray, today's the day. It's called the shoot your shot playlist. So who knows? I don't know. Two to three years sounds like a plan though. But as I was, you know, sitting on the couch doing my work, I totally had this realization. A lot of athletes talk all the time about how the fact that kids are a full-time job. Yeah. And I totally see that because it's like, you know, I would want to be there for all of these kids moments throughout life and it was just eye-opening to me and it really made me think about like structuring my work schedule or like saying yes to obligations that may be like, very long-term obligations yeah. for me because it's like you know if we do have kids like i want to be there yeah you know i mean i want to help them like learn to shoot baskets i want to like do all these little things and that's like just what, exciting to me. i like what you said about full-time i mean i think it's a full-time passion you know what i mean like um it's also a full-time strength workout because they're like little kettlebells so like with covid it's really hard to order kettlebells right now they're mostly on back order and i was thinking like Man, mom and dad strength is a thing. I'm oh, going to get totally uncle strength. Well, it's funny because so they're twins and one twin is about two pounds heavier than the other twin. So I've got like one twin for my strength workouts and she's like the heavier one. And yeah. then my endurance workouts are for the lighter twin. So it's like today's going to be a Cala day, which is a strength <laughs> day or a low end day. It's going to be an endurance day. So it's just like, it's really fun. Like everything in life with them. I'm already thinking about like all the articles I'm going to write if, you know, if we're lucky enough to have a kid one day about different types of strength workouts. We're going to be doing like military presses with the, the children. Our kid is going to be like uh, used to flying with all the lifts we're going to do. Actually, the last thing I learned about kids during this process is now they make children's books that are indestructible. So you can literally put these books in the washing machine. Like that. It's so cool. But I'm also like, can't we make adult books that are indestructible? So I was reading Obama, Obama's book a couple weeks ago and I dropped it in the bathtub. And yeah. I was like, why? Why isn't Obama's book indestructible? <laughs> I clearly need that. In I my think life. they should do that with everything. It's kind of like the question of like, why don't they make the whole plane out of the black box? They should make all of our clothes out of things that are purely indestructible. That Actually, would be way speaking of clothes, I really want an infant onesie. <laughs> those things, like the fleece infant onesies, I'm like, oh, I could just sit there and just be totally comfortable in those. You things. need a cheetah print onesie. We'll cut footholes in it. You can run into your airplane arms listening to the the playlist. Go pay, go pay my parking tickets in that <laughs> outfit. <laughs> yeah. So we are going to transition to. In the process of this journey, we have gotten a lot of information about our health. And there is a slight, like I guess, announcement. I'm not really sure. Slight interesting news. Yeah. So we're seeing my family. I was actually sick. So we talked about on the podcast where David was sick about four weeks ago. I got sick about a week later, uh, three weeks ago. And recently I've been having some lung pain during workouts. So weird lung pain. I was describing it to you in my training log as the screaming bumpies <laughs> in my lungs. So climbers, when they climb and their fingers get cold, the process of reintroduction of circulation 
circulation back into their fingers causes this like extreme amount of pain. I had never heard of the screaming graphics. So I wow. felt like, so we did a VO2 max workout on Hills on Thursday. And I told you, as soon as we were cooling down, I was like, holy crap, David, something is like, my lungs are stabbing me right yeah, now. Like I a... have the screaming barfies in my lungs. <laughs> you said that good. word and I was like, that sounds horrible. Yeah, there's a video online actually that I took of her last rep. And after it, you hear her go, <gasps> like as if there's a little bit of hyperventilation going there. And I was like, uh, Megan, maybe we should get you tested for asthma. That's really strange. I don't know if that's normal. <laughs> so you can probably see where the yeah. story is going. So we're coming to see my family. We had been sick. Megan had gotten COVID. Tests. I had gotten the nasal swab. Got you know got multiple times. Actually, no, just so I got it once when I was sick, like early on in, in the symptoms that I had. And so I was like, you know, I'm feeling this lung pain. We're seeing my family. I should get a blood antibody test. And what do you know? I'm IgG positive for COVID, which indicates a past infection. So theoretically, I could have had COVID at any point in time. And this is like my IgG markers are showing that now but i feel like the simplest answer is i probably had COVID three weeks ago the nasal swab may have been negative like maybe they didn't swab up there enough maybe it was too early an illness whatever. <laughs> i'm pretty sure they went high enough but i think it was might be the wrong but timing it's fascinating it's also fascinating too because you know i haven't been vaccinated enough yeah. so those igg levels are clearly the antibodies that i'm producing to this to this illness that i had um so it was just like such a shock yeah. to get those. I mean, it was it was a shock and it wasn't a shock. Like, you know, I've been experiencing the symptoms and it was helpful to understand what was going on. But it was a shock because you had no idea. You thought you were totally clear and it explains so much. Uh, so a couple of, how many weeks, four or five, three or no, four weeks ago? Three weeks ago, I was doing workout Wednesday. So yeah. we were doing diagonals. David and I were running soccer field diagonals and I, what was it? It was 14 by one minute. Yeah, two by seven by one. And so David was running with them, with, with me on them. And I got to the fifth interval and all of a sudden it was so weird. It felt like I was having like this hyperventilating panic attack, yeah. but I was not, I mean, like I had a presentation later on. So I was like, well, maybe I'm panicking about that. That's weird. So I was like, David, something is horribly wrong with my body. <laughs> I can't go on. And David turns to me and he goes, Megan, champions don't quit. Oh, that is so embarrassing in retrospect. But like, I always view my role when I'm a coach there. It's like, we don't DNF workouts as long as health is good. And your health seemed fine. I had no idea. And so I was just like, okay, she just needs motivation. And Megan responds to this style of like, okay, this is where the work goes in. And so I was like, let's just do one more. Let's go for it. You got this. And so we wrap back around and start the next interval. And like after I think 40 seconds or so, Megan was saying, David, you go do the last 20 seconds solo. And then I turn around and all of a sudden it's like, she's like, She's felled as if she's like a deer in the woods. I was like sitting in the middle of the yeah. grass field being like, what is wrong with me right now? Like having this existential crisis because I thought it was mental. Yeah. I was like, I am losing this. I'm losing my shit as an athlete. There's a curse word. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. But I, it's totally worth it. And I just, it was really hard. But what do you know, six hours later, started getting really sick. Yeah. So nausea, chills, diarrhea, chest pain, actually, which was weird. And then the strangest symptom of all, which was just excessive burping. I yeah. probably burped 700 times in the course of this four-day illness. It was wild. It I was, was just like, start, David was asking me questions. I'm like, I'm just going to respond in a burp. I've never been able to burp on command before. And I'm like, well, this illness has graced me with magical burping powers. I'll take it. <laughs> she was like the old Budweiser frog. She's like, David get me water. Um, and there was also one more symptom. So I think it was the next day at dinner. We're going to refer to this in a very oblique way because it's a little bit. I got, uh, I'm an open book. Whatever. You're an open book. You're in one of those indestructible open books. Um, so she, we're sitting at dinner and, you know, her eyes are down a little, her, her energy is a little low. Um, and she, you know, we're just go. And then all of a sudden she looks up at me, her eyes three inches wide, like big dinner plates. And she's like, David, I made a mistake and then sprints out of the room and I don't know exactly what happened, but 
you might be able to guess what happened based on the GI issues that we've talked about. Um, yeah, so she went to the bathroom wrong the other one. That's all we're going to say. It that's was, the, all we're gonna it say. was rough. And how that did not signal to me yeah. that like something was terribly wrong. Yeah, that's never happened It's before. so funny how like you tell yourself narratives in this process because I had that like one negative COVID test early on. I was like, no, fine, I don't have COVID, I'm good. So got back to running four or five days later quite frankly, felt awful. Yeah. I remember doing workouts and being like, well, I guess this is because like I lost weight from being sick. Like maybe my strength is gone. Maybe it's because of my period, like totally like rationalizing all these yeah. symptoms I have. And it's fascinating how you think about like how the narrative would have changed if I had tested positive, like on nasal swab in that moment, Yeah, like how different the journey back to running It's just hopefully there's no damage now. I mean, um, you know, one of the problems is I had really good workouts in there. So we were assuming, oh, well, couldn't be sick. And who knows? I mean, it's just so complicated. And you did everything right in this whole process. You that know, is you the mind blowing part. I'm yeah. totally baffled on how I actually got COVID. So I'm the sort of person, like when I go out to the grocery store, I'll wear like an N95 mask, another mask over that N95 mask, maybe some sunglasses indoors. <laughs> like I'm all about like the sexy, like yeah. COVID cheek culture here. You look like you're trying to avoid the paparazzi or something. Yeah, it's super funny. So I'm totally baffled by how I got this. But I think to me, it just really underscores like if I look back, I mean, there's nothing I would have done differently yeah. to escape this. And I think like we've talked to a lot of athletes who are like, yeah, like I just got COVID. And like sometimes it's not your fault. Like I have no idea what happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's almost like one of those zombie movies or something. I don't think we look at the people that become zombies and are like, it's your fault. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this was you got bit by a zombie somehow. We don't know how. It could have been a totally random interaction. It could have been uh, I who knows? It could have been me. I mean, I, we just don't, we'll never know probably. And I think that that's probably, that's the narrative of COVID generally is, well, we'll never know, do what you can and be safe. Unfortunately, we're okay. But yeah. it's like, I think, I think to me, it just really underscores the the idea of just being safe out there, you know, being as safe as possible. So you can look back and be like, yeah, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Yeah. And that story reminds me just a little bit of um, this whole crying article that we came out with last week. So during that workout, Megan had some tears. Uh, a lot of tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some tears is a kind, yeah, we need some <laughs> confidence intervals around there some. There was a flowing river going on. And we, I mean, we thought at the time, it was like, oh, well, this is just stress from presentation. It's just a rough day. Yeah. yeah who knows In retrospect, you know, this was physical health. But at, at the same time, tons of people have this experience all the time of crying during runs, crying during life. And I, I kind of wanted to do an article that was examining that a little bit deeper. I love the writing that you put in the Trowrunner article. I also, so I edit all of David's Trowrunner yeah. articles. And I think one of my favorite comments in the editing process- I'll jump in here, is that Megan at the top is like, this is amazing, highlighting a single line. And then right below it, she highlights another line. And just like, all caps, no more meat sacks. I, I told you, I was like, you get zero to one reference of meat sacks in an article, no more than so, that. Me, me and my uh, my constant urge to refer to our bodies as decaying meat sacks. But what I loved about the article is you brought in some interesting science. Like I was impressed with the fact that you did this like extensive literature <laughs> on crying in the scientific literature. And I was, I was thoroughly impressed. So uh, there's a 2018 article, Fascinating in Human Nature. It essentially outlines two main reasons why we cry. So the first being that the act of crying can actually release this like positive emotional expression and brain chemistry mm -hmm. and mood. And the second being that can promote pro-social behavior so that if you're crying, you, know, you can attract this community of people that can come, then come and help you. But taking it an extra step deeper, I, I did some extra research on this and found that humans are the only primates who cry. Yeah. I didn't know that. So like, um, there's a lot of like monkey and ape infants that make vocalizations, but they actually don't have tears that are flowing yeah. from their eyes. And so this act of crying is purely a human thing. Like it's something yeah. that like defines us as humans. Yet I feel like we're so afraid of crying or so afraid of and the emotions it. behind it yeah and exactly all those things it's like that i think crying 
and, and laughing and all these things that are really expressive are just true embodiments of like the human experience. I mean, you look at Colin Lowen, you know, the amazing babies we're with right now. And even though the best babies ever, they also like, they feel their feelings pretty intensely sometimes. Um, and you know, that's what it's all about. So, and I think there's no reason to be ashamed yeah. of that. I remember doing the workout um, that Wednesday that I was sick and I was, I mean, there was tons of people around and here I was like streaming yeah. tears and I was like, I need to get to the car as fast as possible. I can't show people I'm crying. And it was like, it was like this innate response to me that was like, ah, I must hide. And I think like really working on just like being open about that. Yeah. And that's happened to you before. It's happened to a ton of other athletes on the team for it. For me, it manifests a lot more in like anger, the, the same feeling where I'll like throw things, but like being open with that stuff, it's like, let's do it. Let's like let that flow. I think that that's kind of one of the the magics magic of being human because it literally is truly deeply evolutionarily human awesome do you want to get to the main topic today let's do it so this topic is on easy running and it's from db the question is i like to run with my partner who is relatively new to running how slow is too slow on easy runs um so we get this type of question a lot from our athletes from listeners um, and other things i think one of the problems is that it's really tough to think that what you're doing is productive if it's not feeling hard. Um, so we're going to get into the physiology here, a little bit of how it all works together. Um, and we're going to start with a 2019 study in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research that was on the predictors of long distance running performance. The big finding here is that the volume of easy runs had a correlation with performance of 0.72, so a very high correlation. Meanwhile, intervals had a much lower correlation. Um, it, we're gonna get, we can get into the details in some other podcast on that. But Maybe the most fascinating part is when you combine this with other studies, you generally find that the pace of easy runs among certain cohorts of athletes, so among elite athletes, let's say, variation in the pace of easy runs doesn't have that same correlation. It's just the easy runs themselves that do. In fact, a lot of the studies don't even look at, they just yeah. have this criteria of being like, well, this is an easy run, but they don't actually look at the pace variation of easy runs. And that's something that I'm fascinated by. Yeah. So it, faster easy runs are okay, right? Like this isn't to say that you can never do them. Um, steady re runs can lead to major aerobic benefits, especially in early development um, and when an athlete feels good anytime. Um, the problem is that those initial adaptations that an athlete gets, they're short-lived. It's like lighting a fuse and that fuse eventually runs out and eventually an athlete just ends up hammering themselves deeply into the ground, trying to chase those initial adaptations they got. Whereas, you know, in the future, it might help to sprinkle it in, but doing it all the time will result in freaking implosions of an athlete. Actually, the way that I like to think about this, and I, this is something I struggle with myself. Like yeah. I get excited to go out the door and I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, today I want to run fast. Uh, but I think for me, I really think about it as just giving this bo the body a range of different stimuli that you can respond to. Yeah. And like actively thinking about the fact of like, oh, this is going to be a variation. This is going to be something new. And sometimes for athletes, like truly easy, easy pace is a different stimuli than you've been getting. Yeah. And you can see this in uh, applied, like in, particularly in college teams. So on a college team, what you'll see often is they, they run really fast. I remember when Megan did her fifth year at Duke, I was really fit at the time and I would do my easy runs kind of fast. Um, and at one point I was actually doing like a steady tempo style workout and I'm running up a hill in uh, the albular loop, the famous one at Duke. And all of a sudden I get passed by a couple runners on Megan's team. On uh, their easy days. Yeah. A couple female runners on Megan's team on their easy days because I knew their training plan. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's an amazing feat of human nature, but that's also not going to end well eventually. Well, actually, I was going to say, I think the thing about college teams that I find interesting, and there's a lot of amazing team college teams out there that really yeah. develop these great long-term runners, but I think a lot of college programs, they're just focusing on those four years in college and to really think like, 
I think a lot of college teams need to think long-term about like expanding the development of their athletes to have long careers. Well, and all runners, because I think yeah. college teams, is just a microcosm of everything else. Like I, I, we've liked to call it the inverted U of easy paces. So, you know, as you improve as an athlete, as you start out, your paces on easy runs will generally get faster. It's called fitness. It's a good thing. Um, but you know, the problem is that that is probably the best way to progress at first because those beginner athletes, the athletes that are starting out in their first five years are mainly aerobically limited most of the times. And these faster, easy runs are major aerobic stimuli. It raises that aerobic tide. They get faster and faster and faster and stronger and stronger and stronger. But then what happens? They hit that top of the U. Yes. And the top of the U, there might be like, there might be injury up there. There may be stagnation. Or there might be a national championship that confirms their biases and makes them think that those fast, easy runs are key. Then they go down the other side. But then then off on the other side of the U is the injury, is the stagnation, is the like the, the lack of running economy because you're, you know, you're running faster and it's, it's creating this like economical thing where you're, you know, you're running your easy pieces at this, this effort, they may not create like a, an optimal form. Yeah. Because your aerobic system starts to get tapped out, or at least it just becomes the marginal gains. And then what starts to matter a lot more is consistency over time, quality of workouts and feeling good when you're feeling, when you're doing work, particularly as you age, which is another con- concept in all of this. So what you'll often see in athletes, especially the pros that last into their thirties and beyond is those easy paces start to get slower and slower and slower. Uh, and that, the crazy part is you often see their workouts and races get faster and faster and faster at the same time. I was actually just going to say, you're a great example of this. Like I've seen you actively focus on keeping your easy days easy over time. And, you know, if you go back and look at like the young 20 year old self, like your young 20 year old self Strava on a daily basis <laughs> may have been more impressive. But for me, like sending you into a race as yourself now compared to your 20 year old self, I am, I will bet on you now compared to like, oh. you know, with, with, Big, a big Vegas line right there. Um, that means so much. It's kind of like the old Toby Keith line. I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Um, yeah, but I look back at the old Strava, my old Strava in my, my mid-20s, and I'm like, how did I do that? Um, and the answer is I couldn't do that now. Maybe it, maybe it formed a good brick at the time. Um, but if I tried to do that now, I would collapse so quickly. That doesn't mean I never run easy paces easy faster. It's just I really listen to my body and I don't force it as a sign, as a proxy for growth, which I think is is tempting because once you have that initial adaptation period, you can be like, okay, well, this is how I achieved my initial peaks, my initial, all these great things. But that's the time you need to reset and start to focus on, okay, now I need to slow down easy runs and the main thing is there's almost no such thing as too slow on easy runs. You get all the adaptations. Actually, I was just going to ask, how did you go about that process of being like, okay, I need to slow down my easy runs. Did you have some like existential moment where you're like, this <laughs> is the moment I know I need to slow down or like, how did you go about doing that? Like, I think it's easy to say like, okay, like, you know, we need to slow down, but sometimes the mechanics of that are hard when you're listening to a yeah. playlist and you're rocking and you're getting out the door. Like, how do you go about doing that? Well, because I mean, I think it became unignorable, right? Um, I would wake up and just be tired. I would feel this fatigue in daily life that wasn't necessarily conducive to growth. And my workouts would suffer a little bit over time. Um, you know, the hard part is there's ego wrapped up in all this. You know, we all want to get better. That passion that drives us can also be the thing that burns us. And I, I was seeing that the passion that I thought was was the best thing for me was also going to lead me to a place where I was a 35-year-old husk of an athlete eventually, let alone a 55-year-old athlete that probably wasn't even running anymore. The ego is an interesting term there because I thought about that a lot for myself because like I love seeing like like faster pieces on my watches and even if I'm not uploading it to Strava, I still find myself doing the same thing. Oh, me too. Even now. It's like, oh, I want to see, you know, like a faster average piece and I think like really having to turn that around and being like, this is the way to conquer my ego is not looking at that, it's not caring, it's understanding that that's not like, that's not the path to speed. Yeah, and 
you know, I think the complicated part here is that there are counterexamples, not just the young athletes or whatever that come in and dominate immediately with really fast runs. But I think, okay, I think this gets to the point that there are always counterexamples in yeah. life. Like, I feel like on this podcast, we're always like, you know, there's these genetic anomalies, but like, you know, you can, you can look at their training and, and but it, like, sometimes that's not the best application for what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, one of the main examples I always saw in training theory was the Nike Oregon Project athletes under coach Alberto Salazar, that they would sometimes, some of the male athletes would sometimes end their easy runs at 520 minutes per mile pace. And you know, now we know a little bit more that Salazar's banned for four years and has this this whole history. It's like, okay, well, those athletes might have had some aid that prevents this physiological cascade from happening. But even outside of that, there are outlier, genetic outliers that can continue to adapt to these hard stimuli, these consistently chronic stress hard stimuli. Um, but most of us are not genetic outliers, even the pros. Um, you know, most of us are in that or in more the 95 and below part of the bell curve. And in there, that case, it's so key to do lift up, build up stresses and easy runs can be slow to do that. And I think the other point on this genetic outlier standpoint too, is, is like, if you go to Strava, like Galen Rupp's easy run pace may actually be 630 pace yeah. per mile. Like he is that fast. And so it's like- Or, or 545, who knows? Yeah, yeah. And that, so like playing this comparison game is also really not helpful either. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. Easy pace does not have a correlation with actual performance as we've talked about before. And that all gets back to the physiology we're talking about here, which we'll brush over very quickly. Um, so first, musculoskeletally, slow twitch muscle fiber recruitment is optimized at slower paces. So it is fine to go slow. Um, that, And then there's reduced injury rates, obviously, as well. And then second, aerobically, angiogenesis, so capillaries forming around muscle fibers, only improves with slower paces. And then met metabolic adaptations for lipid metabolism also only prove it slow, only improve more at slow paces. The one place that there might be a slight caveat there is that glycogen sparing. So like when you're talking about marathon or 50 K pace, sometimes you need to do a little bit more steady running, but that's why we're kind of like, it's not just saying go slow all the time. It's saying, listen to your body and, and be comfortable going slow. The other physiological principle I think about is the biomechanical and neuromuscular processes. So like, you know, if you're running just slightly above your marathon pace for yeah. your easy days, you may actually be building inefficiencies because yeah. like, you know, you have to put out a little bit more work to run that pace. And so it, like everything may become a little bit less economical. Yeah, if you do that if you do that pace tired all the time you're just going to adapt to that tired version of yourself and it's like no we all want to adapt to that like sprightly puppy like versions of ourselves right so that's what it's at the other principle too is the endocrine and nervous system um like benefits of this so like you think about like reducing cortisol by not like hammering yourself on your easy runs all the time and just adapting more readily like i think it's really important like you don't have to be exhausted all of the time in training in fact that's a problem like you're not adapting if you're exhausted all the time in training it's okay to be exhausted sometimes but like yeah you know you should largely feel good and that's something that we really try to talk I about bet if we did a population-wide study of runners and you looked at their paces of easy runs relative to their race performance, the people that did slower easy runs would have better hormonal uh, profiles, especially as they age. The problem is early on, you have a lot more room for error. Actually, you have a great quote on this. So David often says, leave some room for cream. And that's the <laughs> fact that like you should always finish workouts, not always, but like often you should finish workouts, you should finish training weeks, feeling like there's just like a little bit more you could add, a little bit more. Actually, we have cinnamon toast creamer right now yeah. in our in our fridge and it's amazing. So just like, I feel like my point on this topic is just always leave some room for cinnamon toast crunch creamer. Yeah. I, you cannot go wrong with that. And I would say do that in everything in life. That room for cream is where the magic happens, gives you room for air. It also is where the fun happens, the playing with kids happens. And, you know, most of all, that delicious cinnamon taste happens. Woohoo. Well, thank you so much. Listen, rate, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast. We love you guys. Woohoo. Bye -bye.